of Parsha Shemot. Just to pick up from where we were yesterday, the Pharaoh had commanded the Jewish midwives, the Hebrews, and told them, we'd like you to kill the baby boys right there when they're born and just to allow the daughters to live, the girls to live. And we learned in Rashi. Rashi told us that this wasn't just some means to keep the population down or to, you know, ethnic cleansing, but that he had a very specific intention, which was that he had heard from the astrologers that the savior of the Jewish people, a male, is going to be born. And he thought he could avoid that happening by killing all the males. But bottom line, the midwives said, no, thank you. They didn't listen to him. They didn't tell him right away, but they just, when it came down to it, they didn't listen to him. They did not kill the baby's boys. And in fact, as Rashi points out, they provided them, they sustained them. They gave them, they gave them food and gave them water. And so obviously this was a great, a great self-sacrifice. As the Torah says, they feared God because they had the fear of God. They didn't have the fear of Pharaoh. They did what was right, even putting themselves at risk. So that's where our, today's portion picks up in verse 18, Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt calls to the Yaldos. He calls the midwives. He summons them. He says to them, Why did you do this thing? And you gave life to the boys. So the midwives say to Paro, Hey, the Jewish women, they're different. They're unique. They're different than the Egyptian women. What's the difference? What's the uniqueness? They are as skilled as midwives. So before the midwife can even come to the pregnant woman who's giving birth to the birthing woman, they've already given birth. So they kind of made up this excuse. They didn't say straight out, hey, Pharaoh, we're not going to listen to you because you're crazy and immoral, and we're not going to do that. They came up with some kind of an excuse and said, you know, it's just technically, they had a technical problem, it sounds like, with complying with your order. Rashi says, So a, a midwife is called a chaya. Chay means life. So a midwife who brings life, who helps life come into the world, is called a chaya. So the way they translate it here, they are skilled as midwives, as if saying they, them, they are themselves like midwives. They, they don't need a midwife. But Rashi gives a second interpretation because chaya and this is the plural of Chaya, this word Chayot is the plural of Chaya, you may have been called, if you were a wild kid, running around in shul, an old man may have said to you, stop running around like a Vilde Chaya. <laughs> Eric, that was you? They called you? Yeah, they, yeah, no, um, it was just a, a term I, I picked up uh, some, some time ago. You heard it. Stop running around like a wilde chaya. Wilde is wild. That's Yiddish. Wilde. And a chaya is like a beast. 
So Chaya means a beast. As opposed to Behema, which is a, an animal, a domestic animal, Behema. A Chaya is a wild animal. So Rashi says that the second interpretation of Chayot here is not midwives, but rather they are like wild beasts of the field, which also do not require midwives. <clears throat> now, where exactly are the Jewish people uh, compared to, to, to beasts of the field? Says Rashi, well, if you look back in the blessings that, our, that Yaakov gave to his children, he called Yehuda a lion, he called Benjamin a wolf, he called um, Yosef an ox, a swift gazelle was Naphtali, and even though Rashi anticipates here a question, because only some of the tribes are given this kind of metaphoric connection to wild beasts. What about the rest of them that didn't get that? Says Rashi, even the ones that doesn't say these things about them, at the end of Jacob's blessings, he includes all of them, all of the sons, together. And In other words, to say that whatever he said to one of them, really, that, that was what that tribe specialized in, but it applied to really to all the tribes. All of his blessings to all of each of the tribes individually applied to all of the tribes. Right? By Yivarech Oisam. Verse 20. So it sounds like the Torah doesn't say what happens, but it sounds like Paro either believed them or he just realized they're not going to listen to him. And the Torah now says, what was the reward, the reward for doing this? God benefited the midwives. Then the people multiplied and became very strong. Rabbi Marcus, I would tend to think that, uh, that they hoodwinked them, you know, that he, he believed their story, uh, especially if they were compared to wild beasts. He would, you know, that would be something that he would probably uh, roll with. Because if he didn't, you know, think that they were being on the up and up with them, he'd probably just have them executed. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I hear, I hear you. That's a great argument. Verse twenty-one. So, what was the benefit? What good did God do to the mialdot, to the midwives? Because they feared God. God made houses for them. What does this mean, houses? Says Rashi, these houses are meant to be understood metaphorically. Bate kihuna, the houses of priesthood. Ulevia, and Lev- the Levitic family. Umalchus batim. These are called houses. So the house of, of the priesthood and the house of kingship. And how do we see that? Because the Levite family, the Cohen and Levite family came from Yocheved. How so? Well, she had Aaron and she had um, Moshe. So Aaron was the, the father of the priestly family and she was already from the Levitic family. And the royal family came from Miriam. Verse 22, Paro commanded, his entire nation saying, We can't rely on these Jewish midwives. They got lots of stories. 
we're going to go take care of this. We're not going to outsource it anymore. We're going to take care of this business ourselves. And so he says every son that is born. Interesting. He doesn't even say every Jewish son. He just says every son that is born. Shall be cast into the Nile. And all the, all the girls, all the daughters shall, shall be allowed to live. Or for the way the Rebbe interprets it, you shall make them live. Yes, Yaakov, how can we help you? You know we're in the middle of a class. You can't whisper in front of her. Yes, it's it's rude. Tell mom, okay? Okay. No, 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 I need that. Okay, it's interrupting me. Look at all these people. They're, they're waiting for me to give the class, okay? Yaakov, yeah, it's an honor to <laughs> Say hello to your mother for me and the rest of the family. You are the deliverer of the message. <laughs> I'm using it. You have to ask mom, okay? Thank you. I apologize for that interruption. And we are back. Brief commercial. So, Hillel, you're asking, where do we see the word Nile? So, Yeor means a river that's a good question it doesn't say the nile river but throughout the story of um from when we start with paro it's understood that whenever it mentions the the river is talking about the nile okay thank you you're welcome okay he says rashi he tells his all of his people i'm sorry i i yeah, the, the the implication from the verse that he was talking not just about Jewish children is right at the beginning of the verse where it says he commanded his entire people, not just his people, but all of his people. It says, Afalim Gazer, it was decreed upon his, the Egyptians as well, that the Egyptian boys would also be killed, thrown into the river. Why was this? Says Rashi, this was the day that Moshe was born. Yom Shanoilad Moshe. So his astrologers told him, Today is the day, we feel it in the air, that the Savior of the Jewish people has been born. But the, you know, the message is a little fuzzy. We don't know if it's a Jewish kid that was born and is going to redeem the Jewish people, or if he's an Egyptian who's going to turn to the other side. We do, however, see that this Savior is going, in the end, to be um, smitten through water. Some kind of, uh, something's going to happen to him that involves water, something bad. And therefore, he decreed on that day upon all the people, including the Egyptians, that they should all be thrown into the Nile. As it says, Every son shall be thrown in. It doesn't say every Jewish child or every Hebrew child. Now, they actually were seeing something when they saw that the future redeemer of the Jewish people will be smitten by water because Moshe was smitten by water, namely the waters of Meribah when he was told to talk to the rock and he ended up hitting the rock. Because of that, he wasn't able to go into the land of Israel. That's what they were seeing. But because... As the Rambam explains, the difference between prophecy and this type of astrological or other types of 
uh, abilities to, to see the future is that prophecy of the Torah, the, that the Torah says this is prophecy, that's the type of prophecy that is very clear and distinct, and it's not vague like these types of predictions. Verse 1, now it's be, between the lines over here, it's not said, that there was now this, you know, Kate, the, uh, the, the, um, the, in, the, um, the, the secret service, not the secret service, but the secret police of, of, the Egypt, of the Egyptians of Egypt was now going around seeing when the babies are being born and throwing them in the river or killing them. And because of this, there was a dilemma among the Jewish people, particularly the leader of the Jewish people at the time, whose name was Amram, a um, descendant of Levi, a Levite. And he was thinking to himself, does it make sense to bring children into a world where they're going to be killed? And so that's where the story, as Rashi explains, this is what happens here. Verse 1, a man from the house of Levi, a Levite, went and he took and married a daughter of the house of Levi. Daughter of Levi, sorry. What's going on over here? Rashi tells us this is Amram and Yocheved, who is the father and mother of Moshe and Aaron and Miriam. What happened? He had become separated from her because of the decree of Pharaoh. He said, we can't have children and bring them into such a world. And then he remarried her. And that's why it says, he went. Why did he go? By the advice of his daughter, Miriam, who had already been born before the decree. And she said to her father, very boldly, she said, Amram. She said, Father, your decree of not bringing more children into the world is more harsh than that of Pharaoh, because Pharaoh only decreed that Jewish boys shouldn't come into the world. And you are decreeing also on the Nekeves, on the females. That no, no Jewish girls should be brought into the world. And so therefore, Amram, to his credit, he listened to his young very young daughter's uh, rebuke and remarried Yocheved, the Afi Nebchalias Naida, and miraculously, she was returned to her youth, even though she was quite old at that time. And she's called Bas Levi, a daughter of Levi, even though she was, was of, a, of a, a much greater age to, than you would typically cry, a call as if she was a young woman. So there was some miraculous aspect to the fact that she was now able to give birth, just like Sarah and Rivka and Rachel uh, gave birth in sort of a miraculous way. And this is the mother of Moshe and the birth of Moshe. So what happens is, the woman becomes pregnant and she has a son. She sees that this son is good. Rashi explains what that means. She hides him for three months. What does it mean, that he was good? When he was born, the entire house was filled with light, so it was from birth they knew that this was a special child. The was, there ever, was there ever a, a Jewish mother who didn't <laughs> Very good. Right. 
with the fact that the verse says it, it must mean something unique. So um, the, the Medrash elaborates a little bit more and says that Miriam, the daughter of, of uh, Amram, said to her father that actually you're going, to, she had a prophecy, for, she was a prophetess, just like Aaron and Miriam were prophets, she was a prophetess as well. And she said, even from a young age, she prophesied that, you know, remarry and have a child and that child will be the redeemer of the Jewish people. She prophesied. And so when later when, when he was being put in the Nile and it looked like it was all over, her father said, "No, where's your prophecy? And so she was waiting by the Nile because she knew that it was going to happen. She was waiting to see how it would play out, but she was certain that he wouldn't die in the Nile and that he would actually end up, that prophecy would come true. So after three months, what is the significance of three months? Rashi explains that the Egyptian secret police were watching exactly what's happening. They were uh, trolling the Facebook pages of the Jews to see what's going on. They saw that Amram and, Mir- and, and Yocheved had got back together. So they said, okay, in nine months, there's going to be a baby that we need to kill. But for three months, after his birth, she was able to hide him. Why? Says Rashi, They were started counting from the day they, that they remarried. And... Moshe was born a preemie. He was born early. He was born at six months, three months early. And so they weren't ex- looking for a three-month ba- uh, a baby at that time. They came looking after nine months. They said, hey, where's the baby? But by that time, he was already in the Nile. So that's what it says in verse 3. She could not hide him anymore because soon... The secret police will come knocking on the door. So she takes for him a reed basket. And she smeared it with clay and pitch. And she put the boy in it. She put it into the marsh at the Nile's edge. <clears throat> says Rashi a few things. Number one, Rashi says that this reed basket is something soft. It's a pliable susten- substance which withstands both soft things and hard things. says Rashi with clay and pitch. Pitch on the outside and clay on the inside. Meaning that there was no pitch on the inside, only on the outside, so that the righteous person, Moshe, should not smell the foul odor of pitch. As Rashi told us in Parshish Noach, over there, they had it inside as well. First of all, because it wasn't a special Moses. But sec- secondly, when during the flood, you needed some extra protection. Verse 4 about Teisatza. Interesting, we, we had this also by Yosef, that Yosef, when he was taken down to Egypt, God makes a special miracle that he won't have to have an offensive odor and they, uh, it, was, it was not people taking down offensive-smelling products, but rather people who were taking down spices, good-smelling spices. Verse 4, So his sister is standing from afar, Lidea, to know, what would be done to him. 
Tated Bas Pari and the daughter of Paro, princess of Egypt. Batia, as she's known, or Bitya, goes down to bathe to the Nile. It's Rashi explaining. She goes down to the Nile to bathe. And her maidens were walking along the Nile. She saw this little basket within the marsh, in the midst of the marsh. So she extends, <laughs> sorry, she sends, she sends her maidservant, and she takes the basket. Says Rashi, regarding the maidens, what does it say about them? That they were going. Says Rashi that they were going, our sages say that they were going to death. Why were they going to death? Because they protested when when um, Basio wanted to take this Jewish child, which they, they realized it was a Jewish child. They said, no, 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 don't take the child. And because they had this, I guess, anti-Semitic a reaction that not to save the Jewish child, they were going to their death. As Rashi says, this interpretation of the rabbis can be seen in the verse because why else would the verse say that, that her maidens were walking along the Nile? It could, it's not relevant to the story. Right? They don't, they don't come back into the story at all. And even if they, to just say that, that she had her maidens with her, it could say, and her maidens were with her. Why does it say that her maidens were walking? So the Rashi tells us this, um, this is the, the part of the verse that actually hints to the interpretation of the sages. Tiftach. Okay, here we have another very famous Rashi. Where it says, I have to go back to the verse here. It says she sent her maidservant. Okay. However, the word um, the the word here for a maidservant amosak is also related to the word for an arm ama. One of the measurements that we have in the Torah is a cubit, which is like the length of an arm. And so the rabbis interpreted that she not that she sent her maidservant, but that she. She sent forth her own arm to take the basket. Let's see what Rashi says. First, he says, Amasa means her maid. Amma is a, is a maid. However, our sages said that, no, this means an arm. And as the, the, the Medrash says, and the Gemara says, that it was a miracle that her hand extended many, many cubits in order to reach him. And there's a very, very famous teaching about this, I believe, from the Rebbe of Kotsk that when we see when we see something that needs to get done such as a child that is floating in in a river and it looks like it's impossible we can't do anything about it we can't we can't reach our hand is not long enough to reach and be of any service it's still our duty to do something to try and if necessary god will help us along, help us along and our our action will be able to be effective even at the time even if at the time of our action it seems like there's nothing we could do but if we throw ourselves into it and we try god will help that we will be successful 
Verse 6, So she opens up this basket and she sees the boy. And there's a weeping lad. She has compassion upon him. And she says, This is from the children of the Hebrews. Rashi tells us, if you look back, She opened it up and she saw the boy. Says Rashi, there's a Midrash that says that when she opened up the basket, she saw him, not the boy, she saw the Shekhinah with him. She saw that the Divine Presence was with him. As we've learned in the past, the word et, right? We had et Yaakov, that they came down with Jacob. Here also it seems that it's being interpreted that she saw she saw him with the boy. She saw God, she saw the divine presence at Tayeled with the boy. Now there's something strange in the verse. It says there was a young lad, Naar. A Yeled is a young boy. A Naar is already a lad. But he was just a, he was just nine months old. So why does it say a young lad? It says Rashi, Koiloi Kinar, his voice was like that of a lad. And I once heard interpretation. I think um, from Rabbi Meir Shapiro, that he had the voice not of a baby, the cry of a baby, which is a kind of a, a very selfish cry, but a more mature cry that was that's crying for something beyond himself. Verse 7, So his sister says to the daughter of Pharaoh, Do you want me to go and call for you a Jewish uh, nursemaid, wet nurse? And then she will... Nurse the child for you. What's going on over here? Rashi says that that Basia, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, was trying to find the Egypt an Egyptian uh, wet nurse to nurse the baby, and he refused to nurse because his 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 mouth would one day speak with the Shechina, and if he would nurse from a non-Jewish woman, he would be he would be uh, ingesting non-kosher food because the milk. The milk of a of a woman, or of a of a uh, of an animal, that is uh, a distillation of the food that they're eating. We know it's nursing women, there's certain foods they don't eat because the the baby won't won't um, won't take to the to the milk, and so he had to be eating kosher. Even the even the milk that he would drink would have to be in its source from kosher food. So the daughter of Paro tells him, So she goes on the mission to go find, and who does she pick? The very mother, the biological mother of this child, Yocheved. Rashi tells us she went with alacrity like a youth. So daughter of Paro now says, To Yocheved, the real mother, says, take this child and nurse him for me, and I'm going to pay you for it. Perfect. So she takes him and she nurses. Now the word Heilichi, which means take this child, can also be read Hey Shelichi, this one is yours. In other words, she prophesied without knowing what she was saying, that this is actually your child. The kid grew up, didn't need to be nursed anymore, so he was brought to the daughter of Paro, and she and she, and and he she treated him like a son, and she called his name Moshe. She gave him the name Moshe, and she said, "Ki min amayim mishisi 
for I drew him out from the water. So Moshe means to draw out, to, 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 to be drawn out. And that's why he's called Moshe, because I drew him out. I motioned him from the water. That concludes today's Parsha. We'll open it up to questions and comments. Interpretation here doesn't go into how she made that uh, conclusion. Maybe the basket itself, I don't know. But uh, it's a good point. Anybody have any comment on that? How did she? Uh, how did she come to the conclusion that this was a Hebrew baby? Carrie, you had your head up, hand up. Yeah. Interesting. That makes sense. Right. Maybe it just uh, the, the the Hebrews look different from the Egyptians. Just their facial features. We're we're pro- we're likely much different. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I think that uh, there's a lo- there's a long history that dictators ignore. 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 Yeah, it's a long history that dictators, the most horrific dictators, the one person they listen to is their daughter. Yeah, <laughs> there's a long history of that. Excellent. Rabyushi, what the the some Jewish woman you know I know in America they give the name Chaya. Is it a common name for American Jewish women? Chaya? It's not just American, it's uh it's an old it's a it's an old Jewish name. The rabbi's wife, her name was Chaya, Chaya Mushka. Yeah, it was very really common in Russia for Jews Jewish women, you know, that's what so it means she's an animal, what what does it mean? It means she's alive. Yeah. Life is not an animal, just a life. Yeah. 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 Instead of chai, it would be an extra five. It would be twenty-three dollars instead of eighteen. 
That could add up. I would like to donate, especially with the, you know, why are you giving the male version the chaya? You should give the female version the chaya. Exactly. So I'll just uh, end off with one impression that I got. First of all, I may have made a, I may have misspoke. So he was he was only three months old when he was put into the river, right? So because it was he was able to stay in the house for six months. Um, I'm sorry for for well, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, he was he was nine months old. Um, he was nine months old, but he was able to. I'm confused. Uh, the Egyptians were going to wait nine months before they took him. He was born at six months, so he was able to stay home for three months. Yeah, he was able to stay in his parents' home till nine months. Um, wait, I'm confusing. From, yeah, from the conceivement, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he, he, he's born... He's born six right, he's born in six months. Right, so when he's three months old, yes. So that's when he's expected to have been born. And, but he's already been around for three months. So when he's when he's that's when he's three months old that he's put into the Nile. Okay, got that one straight. Um, so my my um, one of the things that's striking here is that there's all the the heroes in this parsha and in, in this today's what we read today, and the story really is it's a lot of women. Right? It's you know it starts off with Shifra and Pua, Yochebed and Miriam, who refuse to listen to the Pharaoh and put themselves on the line. And then it goes to Miriam, who told her father, you're making a big mistake by not having more children. And then, who ends up saving the child? The daughter of the Pharaoh, Basia, which, by the way, there is a commentary, I think, in the Gemara, that she was going to the mikvah, that she was wanted to convert to be a Jewess. And that's why she went to the river at that time. But uh, that, that's an aside. That there's this woman who saves his life. And of course Miriam who saves the day by bringing him back to his mother and so forth. And so this whole beginning of the redemption and Moshe's birth is all dependent on these various women um, who make it happen. So, Alachayim to the women for, their, uh, for saving the day. It's a it's a virtual achaim. <laughs> it's a toast, virtual toast. And is the pharaoh's is the pharaoh's daughter in Torah a righteous person? Yes. Yeah. She is. Okay. Right. So okay. she has the name uh, Bitya. Yeah. 
which means the daughter of God. And further and furthermore, the name, even though he his parents certainly gave him a name, I think in the in the midrash it talks about ten different names that Moshe had. One of them being Tuvia, um, which means the good one, the Tov of God. As we saw that you know the house was filled with good when he was born, but yet who gets to who gets to name him with the name that he will be known uh, known for the rest of his life and for all of history. That is Basia who saved him. So that concludes today's portion. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And I look forward to seeing you all tomorrow for part three. Laila Tov. Laila Tov. And we...